Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Well, a very pleasant good afternoon to you. You're up for a fun little hour or so uh, with our next guest. He's a cool guy. He's one of us. He's one of my heroes, Dr. Andrew Kaufman. And uh, uh, so if you'd like to join us, you can try the uh, uh, try the um, uh, thing that we have, the telephone. <laughs> I knew what it was. 888-663-6386. Email patrick at oneradionetwork.com. Dr. Kaufman has uh, um, been at this whole thing with Show Me the Virus and and there is no virus and, there, and all that with Dr. Cowan for a couple of years now. He's a natural healing consultant, inventor, public speaker, a forensic psychiatrist. I woke up this morning, Dr. Kaufman, and knew I needed a psychiatrist. So I really thank you. For, <laughs> thank you for. Yes, that's a very, a very common situation, yeah, Patrick. Thank you for coming on the show. How are you doing? How are things with you, sir? Well, you know, things are uh, busy, exciting, moving, uh, always going forward. Yeah. How are things changed for you personally in the last uh, couple of years since you and Cowan and Lanka got on this whole, there is no there is no there there? How has it changed for you, your life? Well, I mean, uh, many things have changed. My career has changed. Uh, my relationships have changed. Uh, uh, a lot of uh, relationships have uh, um, suffered. Mm. Uh, ab- absolutely as a matter um, and uh, yeah everything you know it's like I'm in another reality almost yeah well right? put you are we are in another reality aren't we those that want to look for the truth aren't we yeah well I mean I think everyone is uh, even if they don't want to look for the truth <laughs> it's still a different reality that they're in but uh, right. but there's like a divergence right of people who are kind of being subsumed by the system mm-hmm. and going along with uh, the jabs and the um, <clears throat> you know the the other mandates and such and then the people who are you know realizing that that's not the truth about what's going on so we have kind of a, a big polarization yes sir and you as well as a lot of us have just um, I don't know how long but lost some friends Friends don't communicate it any longer because we don't believe the same things. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, it, it is. And it, it was, I mean, I can't say that it was su- surprising because I kind of predicted that would happen, but it was surprising of who uh, was, the, you know, the most upset by me speaking out about the truth. Uh-huh. And, you know, certainly among my doctor friends, uh, they, I don't think they could really stomach looking at these issues because you know like the consequence is that you can't practice medicine the same way so it's it's really you know threatening and uh, difficult so you know those friends i don't i'm not sure if i have any left yeah, uh right. there were was one person from my early training who uh expressed some um you know agreement but for the most part, uh, those folks don't want to have anything to do with me. <laughs> now, you, you, you studied uh, molecular biology at MIT, as well as being a psychiatrist. Um, in that molecular biology uh, uh, model, are they germ theory folks? I mean, do you believe in a germ theory when you go there? Yeah, well, you know, uh, so MIT's biology department is a little bit different from other schools. And they don't technically, uh, yeah, they, they don't technically call the degree molecular biology, but that's all they teach. 
So, you know, there's no class that you could take on zoology or entomology or anything like that. It's uh -huh. all hardcore cell and molecular biology, and they're basically have a very strong relationship with the biotech and the pharmaceutical industry. Hmm. Uh, so there's a lot of partnerships and contracts and drug development and other things going on there. And they didn't, you know, um, it's not a medical, medically oriented department, so they don't teach you, you know, uh, microbiology where it's all about diseases caused by microorganisms they teach you about the biology of microorganisms and the genetics huh. you know and and the cell biology really yeah um, as you know so that that's how it's uh, that's how it's organized but I I had a lot of experience in the biotech industry like I did internships at two biotech companies biogen and genzyme hmm. uh, where I was involved in a variety of different uh, departments like I did actually did computer uh, molecular modeling for drug discovery. I did peptide synthesis, and then I did uh, quality control, um, including raw materials testing, so on the manufacturing side. So I saw like the research and development side, and then I saw the manufacturing side of the sort of biotech pharmaceutical industry. Mm -hmm. Dr. Kaufman, that whole model that you were involved in, are those, those uh, uh, ideas all based on an idea that there is some kind of a pathogen outside of us that can come in and get us? Well, you know, certainly uh, that belief is instilled in us, you know, in infancy, practically, yes, yeah. right? When, uh, when they say, you know, oh, Johnny, when you sneeze, cover your mouth or, you know, stay away from uh, Jimmy because he's got a cold, he'll make you sick. So, so that belief is kind of there, but um, you know, the model that they're really teaching is what you could call biological reductionism, which is based on materialism. So, in other words, hmm. that all of the biological functions are basically based only on the materials, like the chemical subs uh, substituents. And they don't have any room for, you know, consciousness. Uh, for um, vibration in forms of, you know, acoustic or electromagnetic radiation, even though they, they do study things like biophysics and bioelectronics, but it's for the purpose of, you know, developing devices, um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of interfacing technology with biological systems. Like, I, I worked on a research project like that, actually, with a, a Harvard doctor at the Mass Ioneer, which is a big, um, you know, famous uh, center for that study, and we were... Uh, someone had developed a retinal implant that if you were blind, like if you had a, a birth condition where you were born blind, you could have this retinal implant and it could detect light uh, and then communicate it to your brain. Whoa. So you could have like machine vision, or Whoa. that was the goal. You know, this was in the 90s. So um, imagine how sophisticated this technology would be now, you know, 30 years later. But we were doing experimental surgery on rabbits, uh, which, uh, you know, I actually quit very uh, soon after doing that because I couldn't handle treating the animals that way. But they were, you know, doing surgery on the eye and putting these implants in the back of the eyeball, like where the retina is. Wow. Wow. I've, I've, so often, the, yeah, I've often heard the eye is actually uh, part of the brain. Is that true? Well, you, you could definitely describe it that way because the mm. optic nerve, which, you know, originates in the brain, comes right 
into the back of the eyeball and forms the retina. Wow. So you could, you know, definitely say it was an extension of the brain. And of course, if you, you know, stab someone through the eyeball, it would go right into their brain. Not, not that I'm recommending that. Yeah, but, don't do that. Don't uh, do for that. people who think that way or like saw it in a movie. <laughs> We're talking with Dr. Andrew Kaufman, Andrew Kaufman, MD. He's got some cool things coming up. Actually, uh, next week, you got a, a nice little uh, thing called True Medicine, right? Episode three, True Medicine. Yeah, True Medicine Live. So yeah, yeah I have kind of fun. Um, a membership library. It's called True Medicine Library, where you know it's a uh, just five dollars a month for membership, uh-huh. and that's because we need to keep this information, you know, within within a membership in the private. And uh, so there is uh, access to a lot of uh, material that's not in the public. So there are special. Um, you know, webinars that are in there, there's protocols, there's research papers. It's kind of like we're cool. amassing, you know, resources to decipher COVID and to, to heal yourself with true healing. And so every month I do a live webinar for that membership where they, you know, can ask questions about really anything that they want my input about. So we get a lot of stuff about, you know, healing issues. How do you heal from this or that condition? Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of, you know, questions about what's going on in the current uh, pandemic. So yeah, it's, it's pretty exciting. It's well attended. And, you know, it's all uh, participation and interaction. You know, I'm not just delivering a lecture, but I'm actually interacting. The people come on and talk with me directly. So we do that, you know, in inside the webinar format. So it's a really nice experience. People find it uh, very valuable. Oh, that's fun. And you, you do a, a, a kind of a, you join because it protects with different uh, legal things and all that. It's a club, right? Kind of like exactly. a lot of people do. Exactly. Yeah. And we're, we're actually forming our whole organization as a private membership association. And this is, mm-hmm. you know, a model that I'm really talking a lot about because you can run your business without the influence of government regulations. So, I mean, even if you have, like, let's say you have a fitness club, like a gym, mm-hmm. right? You mm-hmm. know, during the last two winters, you know, gym owners have been really adversely affected because they've been asked to make all these requirements of their uh, members and, you know, and shut down during certain periods. If they were set up as a private membership association, they could keep open anytime they want because they're not subjected to any regulations from the state or the federal government or the local government. Yes, sir. It's a a private club can decide to go and work out no matter what is going on in the world. Yes, sir. And so it's it's a a way that we need to switch our businesses over to this um, mechanism in the future so that we can operate outside of the vaccine passport world. Yes, sir. Yeah. And I, I think we see it happening oh, on all different levels, Dr. Kaufman, of places like Texas where I live and Florida, talking about just getting out, you know, and just these people are crazy. We're just not, not going to deal with you. And I think that's where we're going. I mean, with yeah, the, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you could call it a parallel society. Yes, and sir. I just want to clarify that when I say that, I don't mean that it excludes anyone. No. Like anyone who's in the matrix system who wants to come and do business or wants to maybe leave that at some point, they're always welcome. Yes, sir. Um, but, but this is a way to essentially exert our own authority, our own autonomy, our own sovereignty and say we're going to live by our own rules. 
right? And we actually are protected by the government to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, but it's just that there's the, these two spaces that we can exist, um, and there's the public, right, which means that we have to get licensed and registered and get permission and follow all the rules, Mm-hmm. Right, and that's what most of us are used to doing in our professional life and in our business life. But then there's the private, which we also know about, right? Which is like in our living room, at, at our dinner table, right? Or with our friends on on our on our own property, right? Where we can do uh, really whatever we want as long as we're not hurting anyone. Yes, right. We still have to follow the moral law, the natural law, right? I'm not saying that we're it makes you free to go and steal and kill and things like that. Right. Uh, not that we would want to do that, but it allows you to do you know what you want without regulation. Like, you know, uh, there's some people say that the average person like breaks uh, you know three felonies or commits three <laughs> felonies I've a day. That. And there's yeah, so many. Probably true. Right. And uh, like for example, here's one that that really defies any logic. So let's say I hunt and I uh, kill a deer and harvest it, and uh, but I'm just a single person. I can't, you know, take me a long time to eat a whole deer. So I want to sell some of that meat to my friends because they don't like hunting, mm-hmm. or they were un- they were unlucky on their hunting trip, right? And in order to do that in the public, I would have to get an FDA or sorry a USDA inspector to uh, inspect the meat and certify it, and then I could sell it to my friends. And if I didn't do that, it would be breaking a, a criminal penalty. Yes, sir. Right? But that's ridiculous. We should be able to sell meat to whoever we want. Right. right? So if we do it in the private, like, you know, you bring it into your, into your house, and it's in your freezer now. It's, uh, you know, not out in the woods or anything, and you want to sell it to your friends, you go and do, and do so. And if you're in a private uh, association, you can do that anywhere you want, as long as you're only selling it to members. Yes, and so it's a way to kind of turn your business into your living room without running your business out of your living room. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a wonderful fellow up in uh, Bird in Hand, Pennsylvania, and uh, a farmer that has all this raw milk, and he sells all kinds of things, Doctor Kaufman, and and uh, he eventually did that. You know, they're still after him because they don't like Excellent. him. Excellent, yeah. I, they're still there's, after him, but but uh, he gets a lot of protection that way, you know. Yeah, no, there's an operation called Amos Miller. Oh, that's who, uh, that's who I'm talking about. That's is who that I'm talking, who it is? Yeah, that's who it is, Amos, yeah. Oh, absolutely. He's great. He's great. Yeah, he's great. Dr. Andrew Kaufman is with us. If you care to join us, please do. 888-663-6386. Email Patrick at One Radio Network. So this episode three of Dr. Kaufman's new medicine thing that he's been telling you about, you can go to uh, andrewkaufmanmd.com, sign up for that puppy. Five bucks a month and you're in, right? Cool. That's great. That's right. That's great. And then, so episode three means there's going to be a four and a five and a six and a seven. Yeah, well, it's we do one every single month. Huh. So, uh, so you know, if you miss one, uh, you'll, you'll just wait a few weeks. And uh, also the... The, we record all of them, and then we put the recordings on the library, so even if you miss it, you can watch it after the fact. That's right. And we're, we're even trying to index it to tell you what topics are covered in each one so that you can find the one of interest. Mm-hmm. If you're on hold, stay there. We're going to get to you in a moment. Uh, I want to ask this question because I've, I've been curious about it for years. So you psychiatrist, you know, you sit down, the person lies down, you talk to them, whatever. 
Did, 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 were you kind of, were you at all talk, taught about the idea that we are not the mind, we're not the brain, we are spiritual beings, and that's really what's going on? Were you taught that in, in psych, psychiatric school at all, or did they just leave that part out? So, uh, Patrick, this is an excellent point because, you know, it's important to, to describe that in the medical education, they don't get into philosophy and reason and logic. Okay. So <laughs> most, most psychiatry training programs really focus on just medications. Like, really? You know, diagnosing a condition, prescribing a med. They call it biological psychiatry. Really? Now, when I... Yeah, absolutely. That is the main model. And, you know, there's a history of where that comes from, a deal with the American Psychiatric Association and the uh, big pharma companies back in the 70s. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I wanted to find a program where you could get good training in psychotherapy. And I spent a lot of my training focusing on that. And it was very practical oriented, though. It was like you would have someone either directly observing you uh, through some kind of uh, one-way mirror or something like that, or you'd record it, and then it would be mostly practical um, teaching rather than getting into any theory. But when I was in my fourth year, we had this special uh, monthly book club with the former uh, chair of the department who was uh, also the former president of Duke Medical School. So this really prominent guy at that time, he was the team psychiatrist for the basketball team at Duke. So, you know, that's a really mm -hmm. uh, kind of uh, prominent thing to do. But he gave us this one book by uh, a guy named Jock McLaren or Niall McLaren from Australia. And he basically criticized the whole biological reductionism approach to psychiatry and went back to the mind-body problem oh. of, uh, you know, which is a philosophical problem and said that there has to be a dualist solution as the only way you can really develop uh, psychology, which means that it's not just the materialist of there's the structure of the brain and magically arising from that is your consciousness and all your cognitive functioning. Uh, it's it's the you know the thing that there is a separate consciousness that is non-material, yes, sir. and that it's the interaction between those two somehow uh, you know from the brain and the uh, non-material consciousness that creates uh, the life and you know what we call humanity, and he kind of reasoned a psychiatry based on that principle, and uh, it it was really opened me up to this. Um, avenue and of course uh, you know I've uh, changed the way I've done things ever since I bet so I bet so um, I kind of look at it I've had out-of-body experiences uh, I did the whole tunnel thing one time you know in 1983 Whew. you know they call them near-death experiences it oh, was yes, oh yes. my god it was like Whew. that just happened you know and uh, so I know I'm so I don't believe it I know it you know I've experienced it and I kind of look at it, and I want to get your take on this, like the mind being more of the software. You know, it really doesn't know much of anything except what's been put into it. The brain being the hardware, you know, being more, you know, right. the hardware. And soul, you and I, being the programmer. Th that's how I kind of look at it. 
Yeah, well, that, that, that's a reasonable analogy. You know, I mean, I, I don't really know the answers to this. I can tell you, you know, what is talked about in this or that philosophical orientation. But, you know, it, it, for me, it kind of comes down to this issue, that if you look at the complexity of the all of the processes going on in the body, and, and, you know, for simplicity, you could just look at the chemical reactions, right? Because now that's not really all there is to how our body works, right? But if you just look at that, think how many, there's 10 trillion cells, each one may have 10,000 reactions going on at any given point in time, right? So you do the math, you get just so many zeros, you can't even, right? But if you look at what is the, you know, um, the computational capacity of the brain, and they have some models for that, right? It's, there's no way it could manage all of these functions throughout the body. So where is the information coming from that is making sure that your entire body is doing the right thing all the time uh -huh. <laughs> with that degree of complexity, it must come from somewhere else. And, you know, so I think that you could think of just the non-material aspect as some information field or information stream. Yeah. Uh, and it could be as, as simple as that of a model. And it would, there would have to be some explanation like that to explain how this degree of complexity maintains uh, functioning over time. Right. And, you know, I think we can actually do a lot of empirical research to delineate that like what is it really and then we can much better define some of those terms you know like mind spirit soul and things like yeah. that and it doesn't seem like it's a stretch anymore i mean we know it that what we believe and what we think and what we imagine it, it's in the body at that moment it just is i've seen it it's just clear I mean, which is why we can create cancer if we worry a lot. We can do it. Well, you know, it's very, uh, really profound if you think that every single action that you do and everything that has been created in the world by <clears throat> humans, mm -hmm. right, all originated with a thought. Yeah. Right? And the thought is certainly not a material thing. Nope. Right. So where did, did it come from? Right. And then how does the, th the thought actually makes things happen? And this, you know, this is related to what the New Agers call the law of attraction. Right. Which I don't necessarily like how they describe it um, as a way for to get personal gain or wealth, <laughs> things like that. But but it really, you know, if you if there's something you're passionate about, something you want to happen in your life, the more time you spend thinking about it. Mm -hmm. and planning it out, right, the more likely it is to actually happen. And I, I mean, we, we all can see this if we look back on our life. And a lot of times, you know, right now, people are facing a situation where they can't sustain something in their life the same way as before because of this, you know, great change that's going on. Yes, sir. And, but they're, they're often, you know, paralyzed because they don't know how to make what they want happen. And... You know, but really all it takes is devoting your attention to that thing. And, right, and then of course you can optimize this by just viewing it in a very positive way, in a way that fits your vision, like develop your own vision of it. And the more you occupy your experience with those thoughts, then it's going to start to happen. Yes, sir. Right? Because you're going to naturally start to do some things and then. You know, this is the part that is really hard to explain, but it's like the universe 
brings you the things that you need to bring it about when you have the right intentions and thought about it. Yes, sir. I don't think there's any doubt about what you just said. It happens, it works, it's a God thing. I can't explain it. And, and I think it, it's helpful for me that I've learned that the more we want to do things that will help everybody without getting too, you know, I want to save the whales and all that stuff, um, it seems like spirit is more accommodative when it's not just for Patrick who wants to get a Maserati or whatever, you know what I'm yes. saying? It's more, <laughs> you know, I, I want to do this, this is going to be a great company or a great, I'm going to write a book or whatever, but I want it to be good for everybody. You know, that idea. Does that does right. that resonate I mean, with you? No, no, no. I mean, this is, you know, my own personal experience, sure. like with my uh, career, because, you know, I felt that it was wrong to put on a mask for the wrong reasons and then to have that barrier between me and my patient. And, you know, yes, I mean, sir. I was working with teenagers who are traumatized and they're very vulnerable and they, you know, telling me about awful things that put them in a very difficult emotional state. And, you know, how can I do that with these, you know, big barriers between us, right? Yes. And so, you know, when they decided to to terminate my contract because of that, you know, it was for a good reason. And then I said, you know, I want to figure out a way to bring the truth about healing to people. And it just, within like one week, it manifested that I now had a new consulting practice <laughs> and I had like two weeks worth of appointments booked. Wow. So it was like, you know, Boom. and I, of course I needed to, you know, keep uh, supporting my children and have, you know, I, uh, it would have been a disaster if I was unable to bring in any money. Um, you know, after a few months, I would have been <laughs> on the street in, in bad shape. <laughs> yeah. So, but I wasn't gonna, you know, like I wasn't gonna go find another regular doctor job uh, because, you know, I, I just couldn't do that anymore. And everything just came together like so fast. And it took very little effort. Like I just had to have this vision and do a couple of things and it, it, oh. it really, and then I've been, you know, building it ever since then because I keep getting, uh, more ambitious in my in my vision to bring about actually to try you know do my part to bring about a brand new paradigm of healthcare. Yeah, and uh, so um, it's it's been an amazing journey, but it wouldn't have happened unless I decided that I'm just going to stand up for my principles and let the chips fall where they may. Yeah, well, I think that you've expressed something that so many of us around the world that this COVID, as crazy as it's been, it's helped souls to move forward, to change their job and to change their relationship, to change their friends, right? To do something more creative, Absolutely. right? It's just, a, it, it's really interesting, isn't it? How it's been a, a very positive thing in that way. Yeah, well, you know, it, it's always really been the case that when you face adversity, right? And it could be as a result of your own mistake, or it could be put upon you by an external force, it always offers an opportunity for learning and change. Yeah. And you know, now it's pretty extreme compared to <laughs> the usual circumstances, right? But, but if, you, if you see it as that, that then you're not gonna be you know, paralyzed by fear. Yes, sir. You're gonna say, oh my gosh, this is my chance to do what I always really wanted to do. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, let's take this call because somebody has been on hold for about 20 minutes or so. Uh, good morning. You're on the air with Dr. Andrew Kaufman. Who's this? This is Judy. Good Hi. morning. Good morning. <laughs> what can we do for you, sweetie? Um, well, real quick, since you were just talking about that, but that's, this is not the reason that I called, but uh, uh, Dr. Kaufman, would you be able to do a letter of um, for a, a pet, an emotional support pet over the phone? Oh, Can you do that? What are you What are you What are you asking? Uh, I need a. I actually need a letter that says my dog is an emotional support animal. Oh, yeah, that's can, probably here. I'm probably asking a lot to do that right here. I mean, Doc? well, not, no, I'm not over the phone, but if I call this, him and set uh, up, hold on a second. Go ahead, Doc. Okay. Well, I'm. I am not a licensed physician. So oh, I don't oh, okay, think, uh, okay. my name holds any sway for those things anymore because, you okay. know, and it was really important for me to give up my license because, you know, think about what, what really is a license. You know, it's permission to break the law, especially for a doctor. Yeah. You're allowed to poison people, cut them open, right? You, and you get criminally uh, arrested if you did that without the license. So um, I, you know, didn't want to partake in that anymore. So I just let my license lapse when it uh, was came up for renewal. Okay. What else? Okay. Did you have something else? Why you called? Uh, yes, I did actually. Now this is something that has been a thought with me for about ten years, and um, how it started was uh, about ten years ago. I watched Doctor Day, everything that Doctor Day had to say, <clears throat> and she was talking about when she was a surgeon in. San Francisco, when, when um, homeless people would come in for surgery, if they'd had a problem with their arm, they, they didn't have to clean it up because the maggots had already cleaned it up, okay? So um, about six months after that, I, I read a novel called Blowfly about a <clears throat> Kate Scarpetta. She's a coroner. And, and so, and it, and it just, you know, kind of goes into the, to the blowfly and how they determine what time of death and whatnot. And after I read that and just, you know, with the information from what uh, Dr. Day had said, I, I just got this thought that what if our creator, what if that comes from inside, not, not like maggots and the blowfly doesn't come from the outside, but comes from the inside of us. And it, that has been a thought that has been with me since then. And... You know, I thought, to try to sort through all of the medical information out there and really get to the truth, if I'm even, if I'm even close with that idea. But then now, with this virus, you know, how it's all supposed to come from the outside, but I mean, I've already known that, you know, we get sick from the inside. So, I'll take that to the next step. I mean, is that possible, or am I just, like, way off base? <laughs> Well, uh, this is a very interesting idea because, you know, what we know from uh, various scientists like Gaston Naissance and um, uh, Antoine Béchamp and others is that there are these um, particles within our own body, in our cells, right? And they have different names like somatids or protids or microzyma, and they can develop into different microorganisms. And so they're kind of like the stem cell of all life and because you know we have stem cells like in our human body for example that could make every human type of cell but these are even more uh, basic um, stem cells that can probably make every organism that exists but 
to do an experiment to see if the flies come from within or without, it would be really simple um, because you could just take a piece of meat and uh, place it in a, you know, a, a container that was not airtight but had pores or screens that were too small to, to let the flies in and leave it there for a week or two and see if any maggots uh, uh, are present. And then you'd, you'd kind of know it's a very interesting uh, question to answer. But, um, you know, with respect to what you said about viruses, there, there just are no such thing as viruses in terms of uh, particles that cause disease. But disease doesn't necessarily come from within us uh, because much of disease is from uh, being poisoned. And we do, you know, develop some poisons inside us from normal metabolism, but we have body systems that can process those unless we're in an extreme state of fear or uh, starvation or things like that. But so, but the poisons that cause most of the disease actually come from outside the body. Many of them are put there on purpose, like when you choose to eat processed food or you choose to get a vaccine or take pharmaceuticals. Uh, but some of them are just from passive, you know, from breathing uh, because these things are in the air um, and, and such. So, um, mm -hmm. just to clarify. So, th that, would, that would also include uh, the idea of bacteria, where I've heard you talk, Dr. Kaufman, about how in the case of maybe strep, the, re the bacteria are actually trying to heal the throat. And if you do, a, yeah, absolutely. And if you do an That's antibiotic... That's more along the lines of what... Yeah, well, what she was talking about, what Judy was asking, yeah, right? Yeah, because I mean, I think right, when you just the, get a cold, you know, there's a reason why you get a cold, but then... Or, or like, if you get an infection, the, your body produces the bacteria to eat the to, to eat the infection, right? And whereas, you know, the right. standard medical thing would say, okay, you got an infection from the outside, and I don't believe that you got that infection from the outside. It came, you know, it's it's the bacteria, right? And so that's what I was just like taking it, you know, to yeah, to so the it's, far, a, it's ex, a little bit the far extreme. And I think if even if I did that, even if I did that experiment, because that's that is how they, that is how they, uh, you know, like if you're going to, if you're a fisher and you want to make your own, you want to make your own, uh, um, uh, uh, what do I want to say, the, the, you know, the eggs, the maggots or whatever for, for fishing, you could, you could make them that way, but, but still we have meat inside of us. So, so that meat would produce that too, but what, that doesn't really tell me, that doesn't really tell me if, if the, if the meat inside of us can produce that. Uh, just, okay, it's, well, it's, we'll it's talk about it a little bit. Yeah, I don't think it would be a good idea to cut Hold on a 2nd talk about a little bit, Judy. Thanks for the call. Okay, so l l let's just see if we can pick this apart a little bit. I, I know, I think I know. Um, we, in my understanding, in your research with Colin Lanka and whatever, is we don't catch bacteria or viruses or anything from the outside in, correct? We just don't. So let, let me clarify, because I could see this is very confusing. Yes, it so is. Yeah. bacteria are everywhere, right? You take a breath in, there's bacteria in the air you breathe in. So there's continuously we're being exposed to microorganisms from the environment, and they're probably exchanging information about the environment with the microorganisms that live in our body permanently, mm -hmm. right? But what I'm trying to say is that microorganisms don't cause disease at all, period. Whether they come, no matter where they come they from, just don't. they don't cause the disease, right? Yeah. Um, but, and when you have, like, let's say strep throat, for example, when the bacteria are there cleaning up the dead and damaged tissue, that's, 
not the disease. That's the healing yes. process. Okay, so that's one thing that we confuse. But before that, something, if we're talking about a strep throat, something damaged the throat. Yes. That's the disease. Now, we may not even have symptoms when that occurs. Okay, we might not even notice it, but the body notices it. And when the body recruits the cleanup crew to resolve that disease, that's when the bacteria or yeast or fungi or come in. And that's the healing phase of the illness. So there had to be something that damaged the throat in the first place. And like for many children, it's due to dairy products, like pasteurized, hmm. uh, you know, commercial uh, factory farm dairy products that mm -hmm. have various toxins in them, uh, including antibiotics, actually, but, you know, foreign hormones, um, uh, the, you know, the effect of the pasteurization pro process makes a lot of toxic substances. So that's what is causing the tissue damage in many cases. And then when your body sends the bacteria from within, it's, that's the healing phase, uh, but that's when you also experience the symptoms. So, you know, mainstream or allopathic medicine tells you that that's the illness right. part of it, right? And they say that the bacteria are causing it, but that's just doesn't make sense with the evidence, even, you know, even common sense, like why would the same bacteria be there when you don't have strep throat if it causes the strep throat, right? And it is there. Does, yeah, it's there. It's, it's there. it's there all the time. It's our normal bacteria that lives in our skin and our mucous membranes. You know, you never do a strep throat culture when, unless someone has the symptoms of strep throat. But if you did it when they were healthy, you'd find it would be positive most of the time. <laughs> so, so this is the same model of a flu or cold, the same thing. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, because there's, you know, there's damage to the tissue in the airway, like in the cold. And that makes sense because, you know, did you ever look at your, your heating air filter? right and uh, at the end of the year and it's it's gross right it's got all kinds of crap on it mm -hmm. and you the heat only runs part of the time your nose and and airway runs all the time right you never stop breathing so all of the crap in the air gets trapped in the tissues and that you actually have special mechanisms in the tissue to tr to filter it out and so that filter it needs to be cleaned Right. Otherwise, it, it won't work anymore. And that's that's what happens when you get a cold. Yeah. So I think we've just used this term for so long, maybe lifetimes. I don't know. Catch a cold, catch the flu. Right. We just think we yeah, catch something. Right. It's like, <laughs> well, the language is extremely important, yeah, right, is. because uh, that creates or or uh, reinforces the belief. Yeah. Yeah. And, but you can't actually catch a cold. They've, they've tried to do it in many experiments and were never successful. It just doesn't work that way. Uh, can you stay right there, sir? And we'll do a couple breaks and then uh, and uh, we'll be right back. Stay there. For my first meal of the day, I like to make a blended drink and I'm always basing my blended drinks around colostrum. Colostrum adds so much creamy flavor and texture that if you don't have it, smoothies start to seem a little bit watery to me. Now I'm going to be combining it with a bunch of other ingredients, but it really is the all-star. Colostrum has so many health benefits. Probably it's best known for its effects on the immune system. There's actually an article in PubMed showing colostrum to be three times 
times more effective against flu and flu symptoms than flu vaccines are, even in high-risk patients. It's incredible for fighting flu and other viral-type infections. It's also really good for building lean muscle mass. In fact, it contains all 89 of the known mammalian growth factors. It's also very good for the gut lining. So people who suffer from things like Crohn's, IBS, uh, leaky gut syndrome, a lot of those folks are using colostrum in the regenerative process to heal and restore their gut lining. And one of the things I love about it is that it's a complete food. So colostrum contains everything a mammal needs to thrive. It contains all of the essential amino acids. It contains all of the essential lipids or fats. It contains all of the essential glyconutrients. Those are essential sugars that we need for our immune function. So it's got all of that and all those growth factors, which means this is really a complete food for human beings or for any other mammals. Tastes great. It's got the fuel I need to get through the day, and it's got all those added health benefits thanks to the colostrum tube. That's from Daniel Vitalis's uh, One Radio Network ad, where you'll see the uh, Surthrival link. We've known uh, Brandon Amalani for, gosh, 10 years now. Brandon is a Chinese medicine guru guy, and he has some wonderful products. It's called Shen Blossom. You'll see things on there, uh, magic, not magic, but medicinal mushrooms, not magic mushrooms, medicinal mushrooms, uh, things for digestion, shaga, reishi, uh, minerals, uh, exquisitely produced. I mean, I'm talking ingredients that you, you know, you're just not going to find anywhere else. Uh, Check out this one here. This is uh, a product called Arise, and I'll read you a little bit about it, that he has, if you'd like to boost up your uh, testosterone a little bit, guys. Um, it supports performance in regards to hormones, kidneys, and sexual function. It doesn't just not juicing you up with some kind of a, uh, you know, like a, a hormone, uh, testosterone. You hear all these things on the radio of low T centers. Have you heard those? Man, they're all over the place. This is great for prostate health, circulation, emotional balance, sleep, and recovery, just to name a few. Uh, it's called Arise, uh, just exquisite ingredients, beautifully uh, put together. I'll read a few of them. Uh, fermented yam root, Japanese Chinese climbing fern and spore, amber resin, simlax root, rosemary bark, dandelion parsley, ashwagandha, garlic scrapes, scrapes, sage, shiso seeds, cumin seeds. So you get the idea. These are all foods uh, for this product called Arise. So guys, you want to boost up testosterone a little bit, this is not going to make you wonky or you know just get speedy or anything like that, and it will not damage any of your organs. It works on a, a, whole, um, a whole level, Chinese medicine level, that's uh, very powerful. It's uh, Sir Arise on any Shen Blossom link. We have a big sale going on right now for Pearl Seam. Pearl Seam. It is a wonderful product that is uh, from Real Pearl, not uh, Mother of Pearl, but Real Pearl. Uh, they're in uh, these lakes in China that Dr. Rulin Shu uh, takes care of, and she's a caretaker of. Her family watches over them, and um, very, very nice product. And what she has done, she's figured out a way how to um, powder these formula, and uh, it's got some uh, signal proteins as well as calcium, 
is one of the strong ones in there, which is called Pearlseum. But you brush your teeth with it. You can take it internally. Uh, some of the ancients used, like Cleopatra. She was a good looker. Uh, she used to take this kind of stuff. And uh, it's good for your skin, your hair, your nails, and uh, just overall longevity, which is kind of nice because we might as well stay around here. I mean, come on. It's going to get just fun from here, right? No sense of going anywhere. It's uh, Pearlseum and on sale right now, 25% off right now through Thanksgiving. Pearlseum, 25% off. Use promo code THANKSGIVING. Promo code THANKSGIVING on OneRadioNetwork.com. I think you'll really like it. Brush your teeth with it and you can take it internally. Know the Source on One Radio Network. Having fun talking to Dr. Andrew Kaufman, who is a psychiatrist who went to MIT uh, with a biology thing, and uh, he's, he's on his own now. And uh, and uh, how did you get hooked up with? I just want to. I've never asked you. How did you get hooked up with Dr. Cowan? How did you? How did you guys come together? Well, it's kind of a funny story because um, he gave a lecture on some kind of uh, healing. Um, you know, topic, and then at the end, he decided to throw in uh, a few thoughts about the virus, right? Um, because this was like very at the very beginning of the pandemic, and it was you know just before an audience of his like uh, uh, clients on uh, a closed webinar, and then it so happened that a friend of a friend of one of the people who saw that was my friend <laughs> and he and he sent me this video and so i saw it and other people leaked it too it actually ended up going viral um it's the one where he talked about dolphins if anyone remembers that i don't and so he mentioned exosomes in that video and that just struck a chord with me and uh it it helped me figure out my whole interpretation that the virus wasn't real and and then i put out um a presentation on that you know which it really was what got me known because uh, a variety of people picked it, uh, up. picked it up and shared it yeah, yeah, yeah including some people with big audiences and i'm of course gave thanks to tom cowan on there because he had inspired me with that video and then he saw it or someone sent it to him and he's like who is this guy and then he heard my lecture and he said i got to talk to this guy oh, and so great. he got in touch with me through a mutual friend uh sayer g and then uh you know we we took some time to get to know each other and eventually we became great collaborators uh you know i mean and good friends yeah and you're still looking at uh, both of you with stefan lanka's work and the whole germ theory thing and and uh, you still keep in contact with Lanka as well? Yeah, yeah. Well, we actually have uh, regular uh, discussions with Stefan um, that called Freedom Talks uh, that's put together by Dean Browse. And so you can find those on any of my video platforms. Uh, but um, yeah, and we have one coming up in a couple of weeks. And then uh, Dr. Cowan actually uh, did a fundraiser um, among his community to uh, help Stefan uh, yeah. finance part of the genetic research because he's trying to to do now is, you know, he did the control experiment just to the point of the cell culture and showed that the same, you know, cytopathic effects are there w even when there's no virus. Hmm. And what he wants to do now is show that you can create any virus genome out of this mix 
of material and from a cell culture even if there's no virus there and so that's that's Whoa. what the uh, what so, he's working on so now. what does that mean to us what you just said because most of us probably didn't really understand that but there is no there there I mean he can really uh, well you know I've talked a lot about the the so-called genome right of SARS-CoV-2 which mm -hmm. is completely made up in a computer because they they don't have an actual sample of of a virus and then take the genetic material from it they take whatever genetic material is in somebody's lung fluid who happens to be ill and then a computer puts it together into a a, a completely made up genome so what Stefan's going to do is going to do the same exact procedure, but he's going to start with a sample that's not from a person who's sick. So he's going to start with just a cell culture that has no virus in it at all, hmm. no possible source of virus. And he's going to use that information to create the same exact genome to show how bogus it is. So, um, as you know, the last year or so, people have been trying to blame this whole COVID thing on the China and a bioweapon and all that and releasing it. Is there any evidence that that happened? Absolutely not. Wow. So that whole the thing is made up. There is, there is a bioweapon. It wasn't developed in China, though. It was developed in, uh, you know, in our own U.S. laboratories and manufactured by several pharmaceutical companies, Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, AstraZeneca, Moderna. Those injectables, that, that's the bioweapon. That's it. So there's really, is there any way, Dr. Kaufman, that somebody could create uh, some kind of a virus in a lab, release it in the air, and everybody would get sick and share it with one another? Is that even possible well you know i can't say that you know anything could be possible anything. patrick but there's no model in nature for that so it would have to be something that they make up from scratch you know you can you can spray poison yeah um, and people can inhale it or get exposed to it and get sick yeah right but uh you know they've done that in in war right uh, sure. chemical weapons chemical weapons but right but there's no um, you know, there are no biological particles that float around in nature that make you sick. So they would have to create a brand new technology to make this happen. You know, and the closest thing that I've seen that could achieve something like this are these uh, robot mosquitoes. Yeah, that, uh, you know, they're basically, uh, you know, mini, mini drones that <laughs> could carry some kind of poison in a little vial and inject it into people. Um, you know, there could be things like that through technology, but there's no, you know, biological particle that can do this. I think it's fascinating looking at human nature and all, even all, most of the alternative people, like, like we hang with, they're all into this whole China virus thing, right? It's, it's like they just heard this and now they just pick up on that because, you know, because guys like you say there is no virus virus, but oh, you know, now there's a China so, virus. Yeah, well, Patrick, you know, um, so you have this power structure, right? Um, you know, you can call them many things. Uh, you know, you can, let's just call them empire, mm -hmm. right? And they're all the people who are planning and carrying out this psychological operation to make us think that there's a deadly pandemic so that they can get us to give up freedoms and agree to surveillance and 
technology and uh, genetic modification and all these things, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And they really don't want people to figure out the truth because then they won't be able to achieve those goals. So what they do is that they put all of these um, uh, landmines, if you will, out there into the truth community to try and um, get you off track so that they, you won't interfere with their plans. You know, one thing is the people who are, you know, uh, in the truth area who are not following the directives and mandates, if they were all unified and had the same opinion, well, they would, you know, this whole thing would be over really quick. It's because we have this big diversity of opinions that it's the people in the middle who know, you know, the virus isn't really what they say. It's much easier for them to just go along and get their injections and present their, you know, wear their masks then turn to us where we have all different opinions about what's really going on. But I believe that, that certain things are put on purpose and one of the ways to test this is if it is something to be very, very afraid of, it probably was put there to subvert us on purpose. So like the two big narratives is one is that there is a, you know, some germ warfare virus, right, that was made yes, in China or wherever. And that, of course, if that were ever really released, right, if, if the military developed it to kill people, it would kill people. So we, you know, but there's, of course, no evidence, but it's something to be afraid of. It's think, oh, do we have to go to war with China? All these things that would derail you from the truth. The other big one is antibody dependent enhancement, sometimes also called pathogenic priming. I recently reviewed all of the scientific studies that are purported to say that that is a, an actual phenomenon, and it, it is not an actual phenomenon. It, it's a whisper of a shadow of a fingerprint, so, is what it is. So what did you just describe that doesn't even exist that a lot of people do? Can you explain? Yes, uh, antibody-dependent enhancement. And, and this is the, hmm. you know, I know it's a mouthful, yeah. but ADE. Okay. Um, and this is what, there have been several prominent people who have made warnings that there'll be millions of people dying from this, uh, like Luc Montagnier said this, um, uh, Geert van de Boschen, yes. who used to write, was a whistleblower from Gavi, mm-hmm. um, and many of the doctors on the circuit and the, you know, the big anti-vax spokespeople are all talking about this. And what it is, is it says that if you got you know, vaccinated, and then later on, you get exposed to the, to the real virus in nature. Yes, sir. That the vaccine is going to make your immune system overreact to the real virus. And, and you'll have a cytokine storm or some kind of, you know, get really sick and, and die from it. So and this is, so this this is was a, this was a false flag, you're saying. This was a false flag. Well, I'm not sure if it's a false flag because no one's actually died. Mm-hmm. But what this is, is is a false narrative, just like the bioweapon virus narrative. Um, but because you say all these um, experts in the truth community are saying that this is going to be this winter, there's going to be tons of casualties from this. And they all say in the animal studies, all the animals died. You hear this over and yes, over sir. again. All the ferrets died, right? You probably heard that even if you didn't know it was describing antibody-dependent enhancement. 
Well, I'll tell you, in all the animal studies, none of the animals died. The animals didn't even get sick. It's like these people didn't actually read the studies. And so, in other words, if people get sick and die from the vaccine, it's just from the vaccine. There's no virus that has anything to do with it because the virus doesn't exist. But by promoting this narrative, you're one, you're generating fear, right? Unnecessary fear. And also fear is what gets more viewers, right? You get more attention when oh, you yeah. create fear. Oh, yeah. And then secondly, you keep the belief in viruses alive because this bad thing only happens when you're exposed to the virus. Otherwise, it doesn't happen, right? So it keeps you afraid of viruses. And that means that when they say that there's another variant that's more deadly, you'll, you might believe it. Or if, if they switch and like, you know, there have been rumors about a Marburg virus pandemic, yeah, right? Sir. Which is, is really scary because almost half the people die when they have that, right? Now, that's not a virus either. But if you are scared of viruses and then they pull that switch, you're going to be scared of that. And then maybe then you'll say, oh, maybe I should stay at home now. Right. I should wear a mask now. I should wear gloves now. I should get the Marburg vaccine. It's not like the covid vaccine, you know. And so this is my big concern is that there are these landmines or diversions from pursuing the actual truth. Um, the doctors that are talking about these things won't sit down and have a discussion with me and go through the scientific papers. They're not interested in that. Oh, you mean the Marburg people and, and the, the, those folks? Oh, are, I mean the people that are talking general. about yeah. antibody-dependent enhancement or talking about weaponized uh, bioweapon viruses out of China. Those people, you know, they have no, there's no proof of any of that. Um, Just no proof. This is an interesting question from Dennis in northern Utah, which right we're on the, on the subject. A basic human physiological question here. Does the human body create antibodies to individual viruses, or does the body only build antibodies to proteins the cell makes after a virus enters the cell for immune modulation, yeah. not for immunity? So this is uh, an example of how you can get really confused if you believe in in viruses. In viruses. Yeah, right. because there's no antibody to a virus because there is no virus. <laughs> Antibodies are a type of protein that your body makes when there's any foreign material that enters your body. Any foreign material. So, any foreign material. If you get an injection, that's foreign material entering your body. You get a cut, it's foreign material entering your body. Right? So, those are the things that uh, your body makes antibodies in order to help um, contain foreign material that gets into your body. Contain it? Does it enwrap it, or what does it do to it? Well, it it binds to it like and makes a tag. Hmm. So uh, it may by by binding to it, it may actually inactivate it. It's possible, but it also tags it. So there's the part of the antibody that your cells can recognize, and then they if they just look for something with an antibody on it, and then they can grab it and dispose of it, wow. or contain it, or do whatever is necessary. Anything that's coming in, like I'm surrounded by cedar trees here in the, in the hill country in Texas. I don't have any issues with it. A lot of people, cedar season, man, they're sneezing and blah, blah, blah. So does that mean that I have antibodies that have just know how to deal? No? No. no. They don't? So, you know, 
so much of this stuff is misunderstood and and you know i've heard all the evidence about the you know antibodies and allergies and ige and all of that and i've suffered from allergies my life time uh for the most part but i'll tell you what if you work on um decongesting your liver your allergies go away hmm. that's it's an allergy it's a so, liver thing so well you know i don't know how this fits in with the science because nobody has done experiments where they look at the liver's effect on allergies. But it, it certainly doesn't make sense that your immune system would react to something that is supposed to be normally in the environment, right? Like the pollen from a tree or a mm -hmm. flower or mm -hmm. a weed. You know, those things, they're not harmful to us. Um, so I think it has to do with something about the liver and we need more information but in the meantime i know that when people work on their liver that the allergies go away interesting here's an email from kai um kind of long i'm going to have to to modulate this baby a little bit and and uh, but i think i can get to the point here without reading the whole thing please try to keep these things short but um i've been wondering recently if some folks including dr kaufman and cowan among others who rejected the germ theory have perhaps thrown the baby out with the bathwater in terms of acknowledging the very real role microbes play in some illnesses. I often hear things, folks say things like germs are not the cause of the disease and feel as if it, they're dismissing without another word the notion that the microbial world has anything whatsoever to do with the illness. Or the other hand, my observation is that microbes are in, in fact very intimately and powerfully involved with both good and as both good health as well as illness well they i mean they are involved with illness because you wouldn't be able to recover from illness without the microorganisms you know there are there it is true that you can be harmed indirectly by microorganisms but it's not from the organism growing in your body and destroying tissue it's from the organisms when microorganisms when they process dead tissue they their waste products are can be poisonous right like if you, you mm -hmm. you're familiar with food poisoning yes, of course sir. right so food poisoning occurs when some kind of food is left around too long and microorganisms grow in it, like for example, Staphylococcus, which Staphylococcus normally lives on your body, it doesn't cause food poisoning. But when it grows on a dead piece of meat that's rotting, right, it creates a waste product called Staph toxin. And if you eat that waste product or that poison, then it will make you sick. And that's what food poisoning is. But if you eat human waste, it will also make you sick, but you don't say that humans cause disease of other humans, right? You say that the waste has poison and the poison causes disease. Now, there is the situation where there may be a part of your body that is dead. Okay, like for example, um, with frostbite. Mm -hmm. Or if you have a, you know, a major crush injury, right? Like, uh, you know, a, a tractor runs over your hand or your hand get, you know, and, and it's totally mangled and the blood supply and the tissue dies. Mm -hmm. 
right? And that, that then you get, that's called necrosis when there's dead tissue. Now, when the bacteria, especially the anaerobic bacteria within the middle of the tissue start eating that dead flesh, they also create a poisonous waste product called bacterial endotoxin. And that, if it gets into the living part of your body, it can cause shock and sepsis. That's why you have to amputate dead flesh. So if you get a part of your body dies, you have to amputate it to prevent that from happening, right? But that's, that's not, that's very different from the bacteria causing the disease by their growth. We're talking about a bacterial waste product being poisonous, but the waste products of almost all organisms are poisonous. Here's an email. Right? Because yeah. that's, the, yeah. that's why they're getting rid of it. I got, I got you. <laughs> Here's an email about STDs and herpes and about some of these kinds of illnesses in terms of what causes it. And would he ever consider a kissing a person <laughs> or make out or make love with someone with an inflamed or oozing herpes sores? Um, could we catch, could we, could we exchange those things with somebody? Well, um, so no, you can't exchange them. Like if you took the fluid out of the herpes lesion and tried to give it to the other person, they would not get sick. But really? you might, what might happen is that you, you might have sex with someone who has this and then you might also express the same thing for the same reason, but not because you caught any virus or anything. So it's a little bit complicated, but um, first of all, I don't, you know, I mean, if you uh, were in a romantic mood and you started taking your clothes off and there were weeping sores all over the person, you probably wouldn't want to have sex with them, right, right. you know, until they were healed. Uh, so there's that aspect of it. But, you know, what I think happens is that when you have thin skin from collagen deficiency and you have excess toxicity in your body and then you have sexual activity which creates trauma even if it, you know it's not uh, severe trauma but it does create trauma it causes your immune system to go to that area so it could then your immune system could try to express some of these toxins through your skin and your genitals hmm. And you could express that thing, but it. But the reason it happens is because you have excess toxicity and because your skin is thin from collagen deficiency. So you're m possibly more likely to meet a boyfriend or girlfriend who has similar habits to you. So if you both have bad nutrition, right, and then yeah. you get together, then you can manifest this kind of a thing, and you can. It can appear like it's a contagious thing, like you're passing an infectious agent from one person to another, but that's not really the process. Just like when women uh, develop close relationships, their menstrual cycles synchronize. Yes. Right, and that's not because they pass a virus or a germ between each other, right? It's, it's for different reasons. And so I think similar things happen in some conditions. With colds and flus, it's environmental cues uh, that often set that off, like drops in temperature and humidity. And then we all experience that at the same time, so we get sick at the same time, and it appears that we could pass it, but we really were exposed to the same trigger. And families catch it in friends because they're friends and family. They could just do it just to, it's possible, just to support one another. Well, I'm going to go ahead and, just like the kids and the measles and the mumps, right? I mean, they don't really exchange any virus. 
No, they, you know, there have been experiments trying to pass uh, these things, uh, you know, and it just doesn't work. Doesn't I work. mean, you know, anyone who's had chicken pox parties knows that not every kid gets it. Yeah. You know, um, sometimes other kids, too, do. And we have these ways of communicating with each other um, through a variety of mechanisms that are not well researched. Like even even something that we all know about, uh, like pheromones. Right. And these are, you know, chemicals that we put out that communicate with other humans, uh, you know, uh, some kind of message. And there, there's interesting experiments about who women are attracted to based on their pheromones, Is that right? where they got like sweaty T-shirts with underarm odor and like had the women rate them, you know, how how pleasant they were. And it corresponded to who they were interested in romantically, um, you know, and this kind of thing. And so. So, you know, these things are real. We just, because we have acted under the false assumption that it's germs causing these things, we haven't looked into what yeah. is really going on. Yeah. Well, germs, germs. This is Doug in Toronto for Dr. Kaufman. Uh, would you please ask your guest if he thinks that the Black Death was a cause by flea bites or pronutrition caused by a lack of food? Black Death. Well, this has been uh, very well uh, debunked uh, with the fleas, especially because the rats that carried the fleas weren't actually present in many of the places where Black Death was, or they would have had to travel at something like, uh, you know, two, 20 miles a day to get there, uh, which no rat can go that fast. <laughs> so um, there's, you know, there's some interesting evidence in uh, Don Lester and David Parker's yeah. book, uh, okay. What Really Makes You Ill, about uh, there being poison gases in the atmosphere at that time um, from tree ring data. And I'm talking about things like ammonia gas. So most likely there was some explanation, like which could have been a volcanic eruption or some kind of, you know, celestial body, like a, a meteorite. Um, you know, I'm not sure exactly, but there's, there's not the evidence about the rats and the fleas uh, just uh, has been thoroughly debunked. Yeah, lots of uh, conjecture and interesting stories, too, about the whole polio thing, right? Involved with some chemicals rather than some... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's very clear that polio was caused initially by lead arsenate and then later by DDT and then later only by polio vaccinations. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm glad I got mine. And I remember, I, I think I can remember mine, Dr. Kaufman. They didn't give us vaccines, they gave us little sugar cubes in the 50s when I was in grade school. Yes, yes. And there was the. God knows the oral. it was in there. Yes. Well, it, it was basically just a poison cell culture fluid. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like like all of the old style vaccines were. But, you know, there were tens of thousands of children in India who have uh, suffered from polio as a result of vaccination programs there. Yeah. Um, here's a couple more before we let you go. Case writes in. Really appreciate your work on the whole COVID coronavirus scam. Thank you. Uh, I think the uh, psychiatric industry is really a nightmare and as evil as vaccines, it's only big pharma after all, and the only indus, indus, institution that seems to have the courage to poke them in the eye is the Church of Scientology who makes a document. Really? I didn't know, they were they against psychiatry? I don't know about those guys. Well, they're, they're, so, so they are against uh, psychiatry and especially um, 
uh, electroconvulsive therapy or shock therapy um, based on their, their you know, um, theoretical understanding of how people works, that it creates more thetans, which is uh, like kind of a, a, a negative yeah. uh, aspect of the mind. Um, but, but, you know, I, so I don't necessarily agree with Scientologists, but I, I definitely agree that psychiatry is a toxic uh, field. And it's, I really think that it's meant to control people, especially undesirables, but it's been expanded uh, much beyond that by essentially subduing people into a zombie-like state with medications and other approaches. And so when I was still practicing under my license for the past, the, the last three years of my career, all I really did was take people off psychiatric medications. Right? They came to my facility with wow. sometimes four or five different medications. By the time they left, they had zero. Yeah. Speaking of that, I just watched a great uh, uh, TV, uh, I don't know, Netflix or Amazon, Dr. Kaufman, called Dope Sick, all about Oxycontin. Really well done. Is you know about seven or eight, about seven or eight uh, episodes. Did you were you active during that whole oxycotton thing? And boy, that was a tough one to get people off. Right, people just got sick. Well, I mean, there was nothing special about that particular drug, other than it's a potent opioid. But what happened is that you had, uh, you know, in my opinion, essentially uh, a whole black market uh, uh, network that you know from the drug companies and several CEOs were uh, got in trouble for this only of the smaller pharmaceutical firms of course uh, where they were making deals with doctors to write fraudulent prescriptions and get these drugs onto the black market mm -hmm. and so they were much more potent uh, you know than what the heroin that was already there that was cut and then, of course, when fentanyl came on the scene, that is so much more potent. I mean, you know, microgram doses of that are active, like it's a thousand times less Ooh. than, than, than a dose of heroin. That's what no, fentanyl? fentanyl. Oh, fentanyl. Fentanyl. Ooh. Yeah, and that's why that's so dangerous. And then, you know, you also had Chinese labs making synthetic fentanyl and putting it on the black market in addition to what was diverted from the drug companies. So, I mean, yeah, this whole thing was horrible. In fact, uh, I really, I, I lost my brother in, uh, in the context of this from my, an overdose. My goodness. No, Oxycontin, though, really wasn't a psychiatric drug. It was supposed to be for pain. Correct. correct. Yeah. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So, in general, when you were taking people off, uh, they, I think, we, you know, we've had Kelly Brogan on the show over the years, and I know you know her. Uh, do you have to be real careful when you did that? I mean, very careful. When I did what? Take helping the patients get off of these, these, these drugs. Well, I mean, there's you know, so the mental health system has really no answer to how to deal with addiction. They don't even understand what addiction is. Um, they've got the wow. you know the totally wrong model and the science. They they think the drugs cause the addiction, <laughs> and you know addiction doesn't even have to do necessarily with substances. You could. Addiction is a, a having a repetitive behavior, which could be many, many things. Um, but they also don't understand what causes it. They, you know, like I said, they think th that the drugs cause it. So, you know, for me as a psychiatrist, especially working in jails, my the main thing that I had to do with 
with drug addiction was to manage people's coming off the drug safely, you know, the withdrawal. And it can be, you know, very severe. Like with opioids, it, it doesn't generally kill you, but if you, you could get severely dehydrated and die from dehydration. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I can definitely manage that successfully. I've developed very good skills at managing this, uh, but that doesn't, you know, that doesn't do anything for the addiction itself. It just, you know, gets someone off the drug safely from a physical point of view but then you know i mean without the person making a major commitment to change their life they're just going to go back and take that drug the minute they have the freedom to yes, do sir. so final final point uh so many people have this idea that the germ theory or the germs are there because so many people get symptoms all these people and they go to the hospital and they're you know and then they, they lose a sense of smell and all that can you uh, before you go, just kind of help them to understand how that's possible, how that's happened over the last 18 months with no germs. How what's happened? How the, all the different people going to the hospital and feeling bad and they, they, they say, I caught COVID and they say, I got COVID. Well, they might say that, but how, you know, how would you, how would you um, confirm that you have COVID? Yes. There's, there's no unique symptoms. There's, there's no valid test. There's no unique autopsy findings. So it simply doesn't exist. Um, if you got sick in the last two years, you, you had a cold or the flu, right? The same as you had any other time. And of course, those aren't caused by viruses either, but there's no, there's no material difference. There's no way that you can reliably or scientifically distinguish someone with COVID and if you can't do that, then it simply doesn't exist. Wow. So when you have people getting sick, they're getting sick. You can never know exactly what's causing someone's illness just by knowing that people are sick. You have to do further research to determine why they're sick, but I don't really see any clear evidence of any new illness whatsoever. And there's no you know, published case report of any new illness that has any um, conditions that distinguish it from anything that we're already familiar with. And, you know, the thing about losing your smell also is not new. Um, it was reported in an article before COVID that 20% of the people every year experiencing this usually with, quote, viral illnesses. Really? Right? In other words, colds and flu. Mm -hmm. So we already know that that's not new. But what, what's happened different is that people have been told there's a deadly pandemic and even if they don't fully believe it, part of them still believes it. So that when they observe themselves getting sick, now they're looking at it through a totally different lens. Yes. If you got sick in 2018, you would you would you know you wouldn't give it any thought whatsoever. You just say, ah, obviously I got the flu. This sucks. I'm out of work for a couple of weeks, you know. But now the minute you get a sniffle. It's like, do I have COVID? Oh my God! Do I need to get a prescription for ivermectin? Yeah, right. Right. And it's 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 because of the bias and the influence of all the propaganda. It's not a real, legitimate observation. If it was, there'd be something you could hang your hat on and say, this unique thing makes it distinct, and we see this every single time, and we can recognize it based on this. And that's how you characterize a new illness. And we'd be at this point in November of 2021, it'd be virtually 
impossible to calculate the effect of a person's state of consciousness on during this whole thing. I'm afraid or I'm, I'm anxious, I can't get sick and lose my job. I mean, no, there's no telling what could go on in a person, well, Doc, right? You know, Patrick, these beliefs that we have about germ theory are deep, deep yes, sir. within us, right? Yeah. From Practically from birth, we've been told this, right? And it's pretty new that we're, we're, we're saying, hey, is there any actual evidence for this? Or was it just, <laughs> Show just, me the just virus. a fairy tale? <laughs> right? So it takes, it takes time to yeah. fully, you know, um, um, spread it throughout the substance of your being. Like I had one of my uh, friends who is, uh, you know, I met because he was a fan at first. He really appreciated the truth that I was putting out there. And he fully understands that germ theory is not correct. And then when he got sick, what did he do? He took antibiotics, wow. right? Now, why? That doesn't make sense, right? He's contradicting himself, but it's because it's so deeply ingrained as a belief, almost as a religious belief in us that we're like, you know, even if it's not real, I should do it anyway, Yeah. right? Because my whole life I've been told that this is the thing to do. So, so it's, it's hard to make this uh, shift, but we can't be truly free until we fully embody the truth. Yes, sir. And so that's something that, you know, I strive for and I hope other people do as well. And I think it could be easily argued that most of us spent most of our life kind of thinking subconsciously or consciously that anything could happen to us terrible at any moment. Something could jump off from the bushes, you know, and then you have the government with terrorism and 9-11 and all that stuff. That's, that all has an impact if we believe it's true. Right. It just does. Uh, absolutely. It and of course, it, it, is, it is true on a certain level, right? Because we could get struck by lightning or oh, sure. run over by a car, right, at any, any moment. But in reality, you know, that just doesn't happen to most people. No, it just, it just doesn't happen. Andrew Kaufman, thank you so much for spending some time with us. It was just an honor and great fun talking to you. Thank you so much. Tell folks about your True Medicine episodes that they, you have for them if they want to join up. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, uh, you know, please go to my website and sign up for the newsletter so you can find out about everything that I'm doing at andrewkaufmanmd.com. And next Tuesday will be our monthly uh, live question and answer interactive webinar for True Medicine Library, which you can get through my website or you can also go to truemedicinelibrary.com and sign up and then register for my webinar next week if you'd like to uh, meet me and ask some questions and or just hear uh, about the, the vibrant uh, discussion that we'll have. Terrific. Thank you so much, sir. You take care of yourself. Happy holidays to you. You too, Patrick. Thank, Thank you. you so much. It's been an honor. Dr. Andrew Kaufman, Patrick Timpone, OneRadioNetwork.com. What great fun, huh? He's a good one. Uh, we'll, we'll get this baby up on BitChute when we can and you can... You can um, Pass it on to people. I don't know what's going on with Bitchute. But I'm going to take the day off tomorrow, off to the farmer's market here this afternoon. I will see you tomorrow, or Friday, because tomorrow's Thursday. I'll take tomorrow. See, I get it, yeah. I'll take tomorrow off. We'll see you Friday, 10 o'clock. Thank you for your ongoing support. We have uh, some sales uh, going on right now on the, um, the um, air purifier. There's a great sale going on. And also on the... Uh, what else? Oh, the Pearl Seam. 25% off on Pearl Seam. 
25% off Pearl Seam with promo code THANKSGIVING. THANKSGIVING. So I will see you on Friday. Thank you. I love you. Let me know if I can help. Email me, Patrick, at OneRadioNetwork.com. May the blessings be. You stay out of trouble now until I see you. From the Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com.